All right. Good morning, everyone. Now, if you uh, got my email this week, then you would have no noticed a little portion that I put in there in our weekly bulletin that we send out. We're switching things up a little bit in the service today. So it's about 10.10, and I'm going to start preaching now. So that gives me, what, how much time till the end of the service? <laughs> so <laughs> um, now, if you didn't get that email, good reason for you to go to uachome.org slash newsletter and sign up uh, for our email updates. We send out a weekly bulletin. Uh, if you, you, we don't have paper notes anymore. All of our notes are online. And so if you go to uachome.org, you should be able to follow along that way. Now, we have uh, two more weeks in this series, including today, of our, this series on happiness hacks, where we're working through the Beatitudes. And today, I'm going to be speaking about a Beatitude that is a really paradoxical Beatitude and one that is very difficult to understand and comprehend, partly because it flies in the face of everything else that we know of how we desire to live our own lives. Now, I mentioned to you before that these Beatitudes are sort of like the preamble to the Constitution, the Constitution being Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and these chapters in Matthew that explain and talk about what the kingdom of heaven is about, what the kingdom of God is about, what the characteristics of God's people should be. And so normally in a Constitution, you tell me, Normally in a constitution, say in the, the Bill of Rights or uh, things that, uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that we have here in Canada, um, normally the things that are listed in a document like that are for the protection of its people, correct? Normally it tries to expound on things, how they can protect this person or have this person's rights or that person's rights. But when you read this beatitude, that says, blessed are those, or happy are those, or God blesses those that are persecuted, rejoice, persecuted for doing right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it seems like something that's completely opposite. This beatitude, or this part of the constitution of God's kingdom, actually is not about the protection of his people, which is something that's a really stark contrast to other constitutions or other things that people would want to have written about themselves or about being a citizen of a, of, of a kingdom. It would be more of trying to protect their rights, trying to protect their freedoms, trying to protect them, trying to make sure that they live in safety, trying to make sure that they have access to everything that others have access to. But this particular beatitude actually opens up the door for us to be persecuted, for followers of Jesus to be persecuted. How many are in for that? Would you, would you take citizenship in a kingdom like that? Would you join and follow a king like that that says, hey guys, I'm opening you up for persecution? Normally you wouldn't do that. But that's why this particular beatitude is so paradoxical and so against our own nature, so against the nature of the world, so against the characteristics of the way that we would want a normal kingdom or a normal society to function. And so this, this whole beatitude turns our life upside down. Now I'm going to get to a little bit more of that, but in Canada, we live in relative safety. 
our brothers and sisters around the world go through much more suffering for their faith, for their beliefs than what we do. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, and I hope you are, and if you're not, thank you for being here. We would love to continue to connect with you and share with you more of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But we live here in relative safety in Canada. But there are other Christians around the world that don't have the same luxury that we do. This is, this is Nadia. This is from the Canadian Bible Society. They, they tell the story of Nadia who was far from home and running for her life. She had lost her father and her home when militants attacked her place in Mosul. And she had left everything and fled to Jordan. She was grieving and she was angry. In Jordan, Nadia was introduced to a Bible-based trauma healing program and she was given a Bible. And she read her Bible. As she read her Bible, her faith came alive. She read the Gospel of John, and she read about the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And with tears in her eyes, she was overwhelmed with the free gift that Jesus was giving to her. She said this, quote, persecution reawakened and deepened my faith in the Lord Jesus. I searched for answers, in my pro- searched for answers to my problems in the Bible, and I do not close the Bible until I find answers. My life has been changed. You know, when, when Christianity, when the followers of Jesus have lived on the margins, when they have been uh, pushed to the side because of persecution, that is when the church has flourished. That is when the gospel has spread the most. That's when the good news of Jesus has gone far and wide. And unfortunately, when it's become institutionalized, we don't see the same type of results. Nadia had had lost everything, but the words in the word of God, the the promises, the truth of the word of God gave her hope. She memorizes a psalm every single day. Can you imagine that? Her favorite one is Psalm 27. Right now, there is persecution, so much persecution going on in Nigeria. If you go to the Open Doors website, you'll be able to even sign a petition that's sent to our government officials here in Canada. I did this earlier this week about bringing awareness to what's happening in Nigeria. On average, a Nigerian is killed for their faith every two hours. Do you know what that means? That means by the end of this service, someone in Nigeria would have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's that's serious. In 2021, there were 4,650 recorded Nigerian martyrs, and that's just the ones we know. And in 2022, they're on pace to meet that and exceed that. This is Deborah. She was from Nigeria. She was one of the most prominent faces in the persecution that was going on there. She's only 19 years old. She was stoned and her body was set on fire by a mob because she posted something in her, in her classroom chat. To, when she passed her exams, she replied and gave praise and glory to Jesus for helping her pass her exams. And because of that, she was killed. This is John Mark. Uh, he was, he's the latest victim in a string of, of murderous kidnappings in Nigeria. 
On July 15, 2022, he was kidnapped by extremists from the church where he served there, and then he was killed in the field that day. He was only 44 years old. This couple here, they're the Anunhas, and they were worshiping and celebrating Pentecost in their church. And on June 5th, when a group of armed men opened fire on the congregation, killing 40 of them, including those two. This is another pastor. He's a leader of this is another pastor. He's a leader of life of New Life Church. Um, and he had a target on his back because of the work that he was doing to spread the gospel and share the good news of Jesus Christ. He died from machete wounds on September 23rd, 2021. When a mob of extremists attacked his home and he and burnt down his home, the church, and the school. This couple, Emmanuel and Juliana, they were working on the farm that was owned by the church. Juliana was pregnant, but they were shot and killed on June 2nd, 2020. They were parents to eight children, and they were expecting their ninth. This is a young girl who's still alive in Nigeria. On May 14th, 2022, just a few weeks ago, it would have been her fifth year in captivity, kidnapped by Boko Haram, along with 109 other students from her secondary school, kidnapped in 2018. As the only Christian, she was the only one not released and still kept in captivity because she refused to deny her faith in Jesus Christ. I think we live in relative security. We live in relative comfort. When we read these verses, blessed are the persecuted, it's a whole different meaning for people in, in other parts of the world. But it's still applicable for us today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we remember today our brothers and sisters around the world suffering for their faith, suffering for their beliefs. Lord, you said that to these belong the kingdom of heaven. These are the citizens of your kingdom. These are the ones that not fighting back but willing to lay down their lives as they stay faithful to you and to your word. Lord, help us to remember them. Help us to pray for those that are suffering around the world. Help us to support those that are suffering around the world. Thank you, Lord, for helping us today as we look at this passage and speaking to us about what it means and what we can do when we are opposed for our beliefs and our faith in you. Bless our time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to go to Open Doors um, organization. The stories I just told you uh, from Nigeria are all from their organization that they've told as they try to bring awareness to the current reality that, that Nigerian Christians are facing uh, today and to support what they are trying to do to help our brothers and sisters around the world. Matthew chapter um, 5, verses 10 to 12. So this is a passage, this is... This is the beatitude that we're talking about. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for, great is you, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, how many of you are signing up for this? Not probably. But again, this is part of what Jesus is laying out as the preamble as part of the constitution of his kingdom. This is what makes up kingdom citizens. God is asking us, and God is opening the door for us. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. No, we sang the song Sovereign as a realization that God is sovereign all over all the things, but it doesn't mean that he's going to rescue us from every evil and every bad thing. This verse in particular opens up the possibility for us to go through hard and difficult situations. It opens up the possibility for us to go through persecution. Not only does it open it up, Jesus is saying here this is a good thing. And to us, we're thinking, no, this is not a good thing. Would any of you want to switch places with some of the people that I just showed you? Naturally speaking, no. And so when you read this verse and Jesus is saying, blessed are you, happy are you. God blesses those that are going through these situations. Rejoice, be glad. It's something that's foreign to us. It doesn't compute in our mind. It doesn't help. It's something that is totally upside down to the way that we think and the way that Canada works, the way the nations work, the way that culture works, the way that everything else works is totally opposite to this. And yet Jesus says, there's something here that I want for my people. So I'm highlighting here three things that I want to speak to you about this morning. Number one, persecuted for doing right. Number two, happy about it, be very glad. And number three, you're going to like this one at least, great reward awaits you in, in heaven. So let's just talk about these things very quickly. The first thing, doing what is right will cost you something. Normally you would think that if you did something right, people would come behind you and support you and be there to encourage you and help you. But here's the interesting thing about this particular beatitude is that doing something right will cost you something, right? And if you look again at the verse, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. So if you're doing right, what happens? You're going to be persecuted. Now, it might not be to the same extent as the stories that I just told you. I, I wanted us to have a holistic understanding of what persecution is because we can define it a little bit differently for our context and our situations and what we're living through here in Canada. But we should have the understanding of what that means to so many other people around the world. But even here within Canada, there are times when we will be opposed. There are times when we will be mocked or ridiculed for our own beliefs and for our own convictions if we want to be followers of Jesus. That is a, a very real reality. It happened to Jesus' followers during his days. It happened to Jesus as well. Paul takes it even a step further, and he says this when, he, when he's talking to uh, Timothy. He says, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So, so here, here's the question that I have for all of us. If we're not being opposed, if there's no persecution coming our way, if there's no price to pay for our beliefs, are we really following Jesus with our whole heart? 
or are we making some compromises? Are, are we doing some things to be like, well, I don't want to be so outwardly Christian, or I don't want to be so outwardly a follower of Jesus because they'll say this to me or they'll say that to me. Jesus came into the, in, into the synagogue one day, and there was a man who had a deformed hand, and it was a Sabbath day. And so Jesus looked at that man, and being the Sabbath day, the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, were looking to see what was Jesus going to do. Was he going to heal this man on the Sabbath day? Well, Jesus did. But doing what was right for Jesus cost him something in the eyes of the religious people of the day. Jesus healing that man of his deformed hand caused more people to be angry with him, caused people to be upset with him, to the point that time and time and time again, Jesus doing what was right led people to be angry and upset with him to the point that they wanted to kill him. So friends, today, if we are followers of Jesus, and as we've been hearing through this series on the Beatitudes and some really difficult ones, some really paradoxical ones, some things that, that cause us to take a pause in our life and examine our hearts and see, am I pure in heart? Am I a peacemaker, which we'll look at next week? Am I, am I doing some of these things that God is asking me to do to live up, to be part of that kingdom? There will be a pushback to that. And if there isn't, then maybe we have to ask ourselves, Lord, am I following you the way that you want me to follow you? In Luke 13, we read about another story of Jesus again coming into the synagogue. He sees a woman that had like a hunchback. She was bent over. 18 years, she was like that. And when Jesus saw her again the Sabbath day, the quote-unquote right thing or the quote-unquote religious thing to do was not do anything. It's the Sabbath. I can't do anything. But Jesus seeing her deciding to do what was right, knowing that it would be pushed back on him, deciding to do what was right, knowing that it would upset some other people, deciding to do what was right, knowing that others would complain and be critical of his actions, Jesus healed the woman on the Sabbath day. I find this verse very humorous in Luke 13, verse 14, it says, in response to Jesus healing this woman, but the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. How could he have done that, right? There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. Like there was tons of healing going on on those other six days, right? Like there's big revival happening in the synagogue at that time. You don't have to come on the Sabbath day. Come on any other day. No, it wasn't. It was the presence of Jesus that brought the healing. It was the presence of Jesus that brought the revival for that lady. It was the presence of Jesus that did something for her. But Jesus chose to do that knowing that it would make the religious people of the day upset with him. Jesus chose to do that knowing that it would cause waves, it would be rocking the boat, and that it would lead eventually to his death. And sometimes in our lives, when we have to make decisions to be followers of Jesus, to walk in integrity, to walk in uprightness of heart, 
Blessed, as another translation says, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness or for right acts. When we choose to do what is right, it might cost us our job. It might cost us some friends. It might cost us our status. It might cost us our reputation. Is it better to do what is right and lose those things than to compromise? That's the question we have to ask ourselves if we want to be citizens of this kingdom that Jesus is building. That's the question that we have to ask ourselves if we want to be followers of him. The the easy solution for Jesus in this situation to win over all of the religious people of the day, to get them in his back pocket, the easy thing for him to do is compromise and says, forget about this woman, I'm not gonna heal her on on the Sabbath day. The easy thing for Jesus was to win friends and influence people. Jesus did the complete opposite of that. And it got him killed. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is building a kingdom. Jesus is building a place where we are citizens within that kingdom. And God is changing us and transforming us so that we imbibe the character of those citizens. And so now we we live in a place where we want to fight for our rights and we want this for me and that for me. And if you go against me, well, I'm going to fight you for it. And we're in a culture towards that that makes us so divided. And everything that I read in the word of God and everything that I see in Jesus is not about fighting but of laying down your life. And everything I see about Jesus is taking up your cross and following him. And everything I see about Jesus when he tells Peter, put down your sword. And when he tells Pilate, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And we'll talk about that a little bit more maybe next week when we talk about blessed are the the peacemakers. But it's the same thing that happened to Stephen when he preached the word of God and the people stoned him in response to hearing the truth and Stephen saying, no, I'm going to share what God has put in my heart. The same thing happened to James when his head was cut off because he was one of the followers of Jesus. The same thing happened to John the Baptist when he decided to speak truth and righteousness to King Herod, knowing that it would cause him to be put into prison. And eventually, maybe he might not have known this, but eventually he died and his head was cut off. But he knew that if he were to stand up against the king and say, King, what you are doing is morally wrong. King, what you are doing is not right in the sight of the Lord. That was going to get him into trouble. If we face opposition because of our faith, because of our beliefs, because of of our practices, we shouldn't be fearful or think that it's something strange if we are persecuted because of it. But if we're not facing opposition, then maybe we should be concerned. Am I really living my life according to the kingdom principles? Am I really living my life that stands against the culture of today, but aligns myself with the culture of God's kingdom as a follower of Jesus? 
The, the writer of the book of Hebrews talks about people that were, were thrown into the fire and they were sown asunder and they faced so much persecution and hardship and difficulty because they chose to stay faithful to following God. In John 10, verses uh, 30 and 31, here Jesus makes a statement and he says, the Father and I are one. And then what is the response of the people to this statement? Let's get some stones here and get ready to stone Jesus. He made statements to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And, and we look at that and say, wow, that's so exclusionary. It, it can't be like that. No, but that's what Jesus said. And he said, if you're persecuted because of the truth, be happy about it. We'll get to that in a moment. When we speak truth, It'll cause us to be up against culture, society, and the ways of this current world. But to be citizens of the kingdom of God is to be able to stand and say, this is what the truth of God's word is. This is what the truth is to be a follower of Jesus with grace and love and mercy and compassion. Because I think responding in harshness and anger and dogma is not the character of Christ either. But to respond with grace and love and compassion and empathy and understanding is the way of Jesus. It's the pathway of Jesus. Here Paul says in, in Timothy, he says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound or wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. See, our, our, our context here in Canada is vastly different than, than a context in Nigeria. And we don't have to worry so much of someone barging into these doors and with a gun and trying to shoot us all. Thankfully, we live in relative safety and freedom of religion. And we can practice and speak the truth. But there will come a time when people won't no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. And if we want to follow Jesus, we have to be practitioners of the truth and follow the truth of God's word. Look at how Peter says it. He says, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. That sounds awfully familiar to that beatitude, right? For the, glory, for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Then a couple of verses down in verse 16, he says, but it is no shame to suffer for being Christian, a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. He says, it's not a shame to suffer for being a follower of Jesus. Actually, it's an honor. It's an opportunity that God gives. Again, this is complete opposite thinking to us. It's an honor to suffer for Jesus? No, we feel like we are honored by God if God provides a good job for us, lots of money, security, a nice home, a good car. If all of those things, we evaluate those things as, as wonderful blessings, God is delighted with me, God is honoring, with, honoring me because I have all of these material and physical provisions. When in God's kingdom, the evaluation that he says is, hey, if I give you the opportunity to suffer for me, hey, guess what? I, I'm honoring you with that privilege. Can you see the contrast? Can you see the difference in thinking? How many of us, 
If God gives us a raise or our job, we get a raise or we get this financial provision or this material blessing or, this, or, or some type of uh, uh, good news for our health, we think, oh, God is honoring me or God is blessing me with, with this. And this is our evaluation if it ends up with something that's good. But this beatitude turns everything on its head and says that if you are given the opportunity, if you are given the privilege, if you are given the great blessing to suffer for Jesus, God is honoring you. Those people that I just showed you pictures about, God honored them. And the rest of the beatitude, what did we read? Great is your reward in heaven. See, our thinking needs to, needs to change, and that's the whole part of studying through this. Number two. Um, oh, the last verse here. Verse 19. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Trust and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. So today, if you're being opposed, today, if you're going through some type of suffering, if today people are being critical of you, People are complaining about you. People are saying, you know, this, that, and the other about you. Keep doing it. You, you know, I, I've heard from a couple of different people here at Unionville Alliance. A couple of people told me, Daniel, I've heard from some people I'm doing too much in the church. Daniel, I've heard from some people that I'm volunteering too much. Daniel, I'm hearing from some people that I'm doing too much for Jesus, in other words. Tone back what you're doing for Jesus. What do you think? Well, now, if you're the one that made the comment, you know, you, if, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, that's between you and God. I'm just trying to put it in different words for you here. Number two, joy and happiness is possible in times of trial. Now this again is, is completely, completely opposite to our thinking, but look at what it, he says here. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it, be very glad. Do you wanna know what the, the, the UAC version is? This is the NLT version, okay? The UAC version is God blesses you when he gives you a raise and a new house and a nice car and your family is doing well and there's no sickness coming close to you. Be happy about it and be very glad. That's how we live our gospel. Yes? Right? We relate happiness to material blessings. When things are going well in my life, I will be happy. When things are going bad in my life, I will be sad and miserable. Is this correct? That's, how, that's normal. That's the way that we live in this society. What Jesus turns on its head, what Jesus changes completely around, what Jesus transforms in our thinking is when you are mocked and when you are persecuted and when you are lied about and when people say all sorts of evil against you falsely, be happy about that. It's hard. Right? It's difficult. But that's what it's saying here. Be happy about that. And because Jesus said it 
Friends, it is possible. Because Jesus said it, it is possible. This is the character of the people within his kingdom. Look at in the book of Acts. We won't take time to read, uh, to read it. But there was a time when Paul and Silas, there were two people sent forth on mission for the Lord to share the good news of Jesus. And they were captured. They were put into prison. They were put into a prison way worse than a, any kind of prison here in Canada. And as they were there in prison, does someone know what they were doing? Oh, why did I get myself involved with following Jesus? Who sent me on this trip? Why did I sign up for that volunteer form? I can't believe camps are going to be so tiring. Is that what Paul and Silas were doing? They were singing praises to the Lord. When they were mocked and persecuted and ridiculed, they rejoiced. It's easy and it's natural and it's normal for anyone to rejoice and be happy when things go well. But it takes the character of a citizen of the kingdom of God to be happy when things go bad. We're not all there. I know I'm not there yet. I don't know about you. Maybe you can rejoice when you're in prison. I can tell you right now, if I was sitting beside Paul at that time, I'll be like, Paul, what's going on here? Do you see where we're at? What's the reason to rejoice here? Because I'm so far away from that, that character. I'm so far away from what God wants me to have in my outlook. But I'm talking about it because I see that it's the truth of the word of God. And there's a long way for me to grow. But this is the kind of character that God is looking for us. See, we relate happiness. Our series here is about happiness hacks. We relate happiness to something that's good and, 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 and nice that's happening in our life. When true happiness and joy is a deep sense of security and contentment in Jesus. And to have that deep sense within us, knowing that whatever trouble comes our way, God is in control, as we just sang this morning. All of this sounds so strange, right? But look at the example Jesus set before us. He, he's the one that set the example of the character of the people within his kingdom. And so what does he say? What, is, what did he do? In Hebrews 12, it says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who, in, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, discarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. See, Jesus was able to joyfully endure that pathway of the cross, that pathway of death. And we follow in the example that he set for us. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 says this, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Be glad, be joyful, even though we are going through trials. Again, friends, the, the natural reaction, the normal reaction is to be happy when things are going well and to be sad when things are going bad. But the kingdom reaction is to express joy when things are not going well, when you're being persecuted for righteousness. There's, there's two pastors one day, 
they were going through a really difficult trial, and God worked marvelously and brought them out, um, just did an amazing work in that problem that they were having in that church. So after it was all resolved, both of them were walking down, and then one of them was like, glad that's over. And the other, pers- the other pastor looked back and said, and said, yeah, I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> and the first one was like, what are you talking about? Do you know how hard and difficult it was for us to go through all of this? And the other pastor, she said, but I saw the hand of the Lord. And I saw how God brought us out. Aren't you excited to see what he's going to do next? Friends, as we deepen our relationship with Jesus, we can be able to hope in him. A couple of verses later in Peter, it says, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. See, that glorious, inexpressible joy is rooted not in our circumstances and our situations. It is rooted in Jesus. Even though we haven't seen him, we know him and we trust him. And that joy is rooted in him. James says it this way. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I know what you're thinking. James, you've lost it here. Right? When tr- brothers and sisters, when, if, if I'm going to tell you today, guys, guess what? When you leave this week... God is going to bless you with so many trials, you're not going to know what to do. What are you going to think? Say, Daniel, you've lost it too. That's what James is saying here. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great. Guys, lots of trials this week. Just get ready, more than you've ever faced. How many are going to walk out this door and be like, all right, guys, opportunity for great joy. See, it is against our nature to think like that. It is against our nature to feel like that. But this is the transforming work of the Spirit of God in us to make us kingdom citizens and followers of Jesus so that we have a different outlook and perspective on the trials and hardships that we face. Because otherwise we will fall into just the natural outlook to be able to say this is bad and terrible. I remember reading as I was reading about some martyrs in some other places in the world. And when, they, and when the organization asked them, what, what can we do to help you? What can we do to support you? It wasn't that they would escape their suffering or escape their trial or escape their persecution, but all they wanted was prayers to be faithful to endure. I think they had the realization of the honor and joy that it was to suffer for the name of Jesus. And so it wasn't get me out but help me to go through. It wasn't I want to escape, but I want to rejoice in the midst of this. Paul says it this way, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Can we say that with, with the apostle as well? Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Here, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is a, par- this is a, a parable that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure hid in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What was the the, the impetus? It was the joy of the revelation of God's kingdom. 
And he says, it is worth everything that I have and that I possess, that I will sell everything to have that. Habakkuk says it this way, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruits beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, I will have my pity party regardless if everyone else doesn't. That's what we would do. But Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is challenging. This is hard. I'm I'm not saying I'm at this point. I'm so far away from this. But this is what God is calling us to as citizens and the, the character of his kingdom. It's about this, that if everything else is going wrong, yet we will rejoice in the Lord. And the last thing, and I think this thing sort of seals point one and point two. This thing helps us to do point one and point two. This point helps us to be able to stand for the truth and to speak the truth, though it costs us, and it helps us to rejoice and have joy in the midst of trials and sufferings, is that keeping an eternal perspective is critical when things don't go our way. The problem is is that we just look very temporarily. We just think, okay, it's just for this finite amount of time in my life. I need the maximum amount of joy, pleasure, and blessings in this finite amount of time that I'm living for. And we don't understand about the renewal of God's kingdom and how he wants to renew this kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We, we pray the prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But then we have such a finite outlook on life. And we just want to evaluate our situations and our circumstances based on this finite time in our lives. There's a beautiful hymn that, that's known, uh, it's called Because He Lives. Anyone here know Because He Lives? Because He Lives, I can't face tomorrow because look, he's dead and what am going to happen to me, right? No, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, that life is worth the living just because he lives. Now, it's not life is worth the living and I'll get lots of blessings because he lives. Life is worth the living and I can even die, but that's okay because he lives, right? Okay, can we try to sing it a cappella, no music? Are you all ready? Don't just hear Daniel's voice, otherwise it's going to be a big, complete mess, okay? So I'm going to count on you guys to be singing. All right, I'm going to even just turn off my mic right now.
knowing that Jesus is alive, knowing that there's hope beyond the grave, knowing that this life is not a terminal point, having that eternal perspective changes what we do, what we say, and how we live. Or at least it should, right? That's why in this beatitude, for a great reward awaits you in heaven, and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Understanding that there's this great reward awaiting you in heaven. What seemed to be, what was perceived by the people, what was perceived by the disciples to be Jesus' greatest failure through the lens of eternity was Jesus' greatest victory. What was perceived by the people of the world, what was perceived by Pilate and all the others that wanted Jesus crucified, what was perceived even by his own disciples because they were hoping that he would come and renew the kingdom, what was perceived by them as the greatest failure in Jesus' ministry, all of this work and healing and miracles and amazing things are happening, all come to naught because Jesus died through the lens of eternity, through a perspective different than our own temporal, finite perspective, makes Jesus' greatest failure Jesus' greatest victory. And can I tell you, dear friends, in the trials and situations and problems that you might be going through today, and you might think, I've lost, I've lost, I've lost, I failed, I failed, I failed. This has not worked out, this has not worked out. We do not see the handiwork of God. We do not see the sovereignty of God working behind the scenes, pulling all things together and making all things beautiful in his time. But if God were to give us a little glimpse and a little hope through the eyes of eternity, oh, I think our view and our perspective would be totally changed. Do you agree with me? Jesus' greatest failure was actually Jesus' greatest victory through the perspective of eternity because he was dying for the sins of humanity to give all of us hope and a future with him in eternity. If Jesus said that his kingdom were of this world, then his servants would fight. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, so my servants are not going to fight. And so that's why he has beatitudes like this that are talking about persecution and dying and all of these things because he's like, my servants are not going to fight down here because this is the character of the, 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 the people that I want in my kingdom. This is the character of the, ser- of the servants that I want in my kingdom. And this was radically different than any other kingdom. It was radically different from the Roman kingdom, from the Greek kingdom. It's radically different from the Canadian kingdom or American kingdom or English kingdom. It's radically different from any other kingdom that has happened in the world in the past or currently in the world today. The kingdom of God and the characteristics of the people within that kingdom is completely and utterly different and upside down from the way that we think, but it is totally, amazingly, wonderfully Jesus. It's all about him. It's his character, it's his nature that we are trying to imbibe by waiting and trusting in the Holy Spirit to change us from glory to glory. And friends, that's what we are looking for. Peter says it this way. He says, now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. He is reserving a beautiful and amazing inheritance for us. A couple chapters later, Peter says this, and worship team, maybe you can come 
they'll, they'll do a better version of Because He Lives. Um, <laughs> dear friends, don't be surprised as at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, what? Be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Can you stand with me? Can we read this together? If you, if you want to be part of that kingdom, if you want to be citizens of that kingdom, if you want to be part of those followers of Jesus, then this verse, let's read together. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Let's sing.